And welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of Your Rights at Work. Chris Garlock here with Ed Smith. Hey, if you've got questions about your workplace rights, the ones you have, the ones you don't have, the ones you wish you had, give us a call, 202-588-0893. That's 202-588-0893. Ed Smith, how you doing, brother? I am doing well. Another lovely Thursday, and uh, good to see you, Chris, and good to be out there and talk to the audience. And like uh, Chris said, give us a call if you got any questions, you want to talk about any uh, hot topic issues in your workplace. We're here to serve you. Absolutely. We are a proud founding member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. That's a hundred, over a hundred uh, radio and podcast shows just like this. Check them out, laborradionetwork.org. Hey, on today's show, if it seemed like there were more strikes last year, that's because there were. Johnny Kellis has the data to prove it. He'll join us to discuss the Cornell ILR Labor Action Tracker second annual report. Then... Labor movement researcher and organizer Eric Dernbach says that Bon Jovi's 1986 hit Living on a Prayer is an anthem about working class survival. We'll talk with Eric about what he says is the song's deeper message about class struggle. But first, Ed, we have a lot of labor news headlines. You ready to go? Sweet. Let's bring it on, Chris. All right. Today, of course, opening day, opening day, play ball. Uh, so just in time, the MLB, the Major League Baseball, and the union reached a historic, and I said historic, collective bargaining agreement for minor league players. Uh, they've never had a bargaining agreement before, actually. So first ever. It's the first in history. And it's going to double, at least, the pay at all levels. And this is a five-year deal. Two other major points, they are not going to reduce minor league affiliates from the current 120. Um, I was just visiting uh, my folks up in Rochester a couple of weeks ago, and uh, that's where the Rochester Red Wings are. And my dad was very happy that that uh, that survived the consolidation they had recently. So mm-hmm. um, and. So that's uh, so it's, uh, to double the pay, uh, and they're not going to reduce the uh, the minor league agreements, and it's a historic initial agreement. Uh, so play ball onto there's a bunch of new rules in baseball, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big baseball fan. I'm excited. The uh, Nationals are hosting the Atlanta Braves right as we speak, and they my my team, the Yankees, are hosting the Giants. That's pretty cool, though. That uh, there's an agreement in the minor league. Uh, baseball players they uh, if you know anything about baseball the treatment of minor league players has been pretty rough throughout the uh, entirety of uh, baseball and good to see that they're getting paid a little bit better and and a lot of them won't lose a job because there won't be a reduction in the amount of teams so two thumbs up on that one absolutely 
Uh, another win for unions is Michigan uh, last week repealed the right to work law. So, uh, yeah, that's a big, big deal. This is uh, normally things are going the other way. Uh, the unions hailed that uh, last Friday. Ron Bieber, he's the head of the Michigan AFL-CIO, said the state had restored the balance of power for workers. He called it a new day in Michigan and said the future is bright. So three cheers to the Michigan labor movement for uh, yeah. turning the tide. Great work. You know, they they took it on the chin just uh, four or five years, six years ago, and they really have made sure that they continue to fight. So they really got to give kudos to them. That was a lot of work to get that done. It's a good example of, hey, never give up, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Here's an interesting one. Uh, Joe Biden likes to say, you could argue about it, but he likes to say, and I think a lot of people would agree, that he's the most pro-union president in American history. Uh, when he announces his expected re-election campaign in the next couple of weeks, he is going to get the chance to prove it uh, to his own staffers. And apparently workers on his 2024 campaign will be unionized. That will make him the first president to run a re-election campaign with a staff represented by a union. Who 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 would have thunk it? Ah, I did not know that. That's yeah. so are, is is the president voluntarily recognizing them or is that a done deal? Uh sounds like. I mean, they're still hammering out the details. Uh they're gonna be looking at salary minimums, they're gonna set work hours, they're gonna have overtime oh. pay. Uh, which if you've ever been anywhere close to a political campaign, much less a presidential <laughs> campaign, you are talking, you know, long hours. Uh, just it's a tough it's it's grueling. So, uh, you know, usually it's a stepping stone to other things. But, uh, you know, this is this is all good. I think this is a positive step. So I don't oh, yeah. actually know which union that is, but I imagine we'll be finding out more about it. Uh, in in the uh, weeks and months ahead, uh, I pulled this one just for for you and me, uh, you know, old uh, upstate New Yorkers. The snow, the uh, the St. Paul snowplow drivers uh, approved a contract with the city averting a strike. It's a little hard for us to think about that, Ed, here with the uh, cherry blossoms <laughs> popping out all over. But uh, as as you and I know, being from upstate New York, hey, you can still get snow in April, right? Oh. Absolutely. I think it's almost till May that you're like finally uh, breathing a sigh of relief that the winter is long finally over. Absolutely. So good. Good. Uh, congratulations to the St. Paul snowplow drivers for, for getting their contract. Uh, here's an interesting one. Uh, prevalent so, right. Teamsters Local 238 is the uh, union that will be representing the campaign work. Look at you Googling stuff and the fly, Ed Smith. You're a pro, man. Way to go, man. <laughs> Power right. to the internet, brother. That's, that's the way we roll here on your rights to work here on WPFW, folks. All right, here's another one. Prevalence of remote worker surveillance demonstrates a post-pandemic shift in the workplace culture. According to a recent survey of companies with remote work options, Employee surveillance through video feeds and keystroke monitoring has significantly increased since the pandemic. Is this creepy or what, Ed Smith? I'm freaking out here. Yeah, you know, I mean, Amazon's been a big one, as you know, tracking everything with their employees, how long their bathroom breaks are. And, you know, we're even seeing it in the healthcare industry, there's more and more uh, 
surveillance of employees. It's just really, I get the fact that you want to track productivity. We all understand that, but this is so Orwellian and it's just, it, unfortunately, I think it's creeping more and more into every job everywhere. I, I would just, I mean, if you had, you know, you put a video camera, uh, you know, on me and start monitoring my keystrokes. I mean, that, that to me is just uh, awful. I can't, I can think of some other words I probably can't say on the radio. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I mean, it's really scary. It's, you know, big brother is watching you and it, it, literally, it, literally. Right. There's no joke there. And, you know, we always talk about reference to the, everybody always talks about reference to the book 1984 by George Orwell. Uh, you know, we've gone, we've gone far beyond that. Way beyond, way beyond. Or Orwell, Orwell would have a freaking heart attack, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seriously, seriously. This stuff is just, a, you know, keystrokes. I mean, you know, it's just, and, and here's the thing, though. So, so here's the other part of that is that uh, a lot of workers, obviously, surprise, surprise, don't like it and are quitting. So, right. Uh, yeah. So it's a problem. So like on the one hand, they've got the technology to do this. On the other hand, people are like, the heck with you, we're out of here. So in the hospital industry, they have these things called panic buttons. Okay. So if you're a nurse or any, you know, anybody doing direct patient care and, and, and you're getting threatened, you can hit that panic button and, and, and then hopefully security comes, saves the day. Okay. Well, Sounds good. Right. 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 But is there a but? I'm hearing a but. I'm hearing a but. The but is, the but is that's a one way, right? To me, panic. Apparently, there's more and more um, technology doing two-way. So you've got this button on you that you can hit for panic, but they also can review where you are located. Oh, oh how creepy. Yep. Oh, that's one of those things where it's like, here, here's this panic button so you can get in. Oh, and by the way, you know, we know when you go to the bathroom. Yeah, and think about it. If you're doing union organizing. Aha. Uh-huh. track. When you go to the union, when you go to the break rooms. Oh, wow. I hadn't thought of that. Mm-hmm. Ah, the boss always trying to be one step ahead. Hey, a couple other things. These actually weren't on my list, but I got to mention them. Uh, general strike in Israel shut the country down. And I just want to shout, you know, and they got and they got Netanyahu to back off. That's a, uh, obviously a continuing story. But I just I just said, hey, a general strike is a general strike. So good. Good to you know, it was the workers. Uh, they were able to at least uh, slow slow the roll uh, on that. So well done. And then uh, we did a story on this in today's Union City. Har- Harold Sh- Howard Schultz, I wouldn't say he was grilled exactly yesterday, more like a light flambe. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I love the, the headlines. Oh, he was grilled. He wasn't really grilled. Jeez. <laughs> Come on. But at least, but at least he was called. He was called. He was called to account, and I think you know he he clearly had been whoever prepped him earned their money. I'll say that he was well prepped. Uh, mm-hmm. Bernie tried to get him. You know, they uh, the the National Labor Relations Board has held him and has held Starbucks in contempt, and you know for all this union busting. And they're supposed to you know read this public statement, which they've refused to do. And Bernie tried to get Howard to agree right then and there to read it, and he was like, "No, nah, I'm not doing that." Yeah, and then. Were you, did you have personal knowledge? Yeah. <laughs> like the guy's going to say, oh yeah, I knew. I told him. At least they got him to, you know, get him, you know, he was, he was compelled to testify. So, you know, power to Bernie for that. Absolutely. But uh, that's a long way to go, man. Those, those workers, God bless them. A lot of, a lot of, um, 
true believers and they're trying to, you know, make a change. And sooner or later, Schultz is going to have to back down. Well, I mean, he left. He he left as CEO oh, two weeks early. So I mean, he's he's. Uh, but you know, this is a guy who's already been back twice. So you know, how Howard. Uh, you know, he I, I wouldn't count him out just yet. So we'll we'll see. And I don't think, you know, it, it's not really about Schultz. It's it's really no. about the corporate culture. And I don't really see any changes there. Anyway, you are listening to Your Rights at Work with Chris and Ed. You can join us 202-588-0893. If any of these stories kind of caught your interest or if you've got questions about your rights at work. Uh, Kalia can connect you into the conversation. All right, I got one last one, which sets up our first guest. And this is that um, short-term strikes are on the rise in the U.S. Uh, This is exemplified by this recent school employee strike in in Los Angeles, which demonstrated the short-term strike strategy. They've been popular. Rather than walking out during contract negotiations, the student services staff, who are part of SCIU, the Service Employees International, uh, Local 99, they went on a strike for a set time frame. And that's something, Ed, that I know you guys in the healthcare industry know very well. You guys do that all the time because of, you know, you have to give the 10-day notice and all that. And so you guys, when you do do a strike, uh, you'll do like a one-day or a two-day where it's already uh, set and, you know, ahead of time. It's an interesting tactic. Did you want to say anything real quick about that before we go to Yeah, um, I think the, the you know, the, the strength of it is that you can do a one-dayer and in two, three weeks later, you can do another one. You can do a three-dayer. And Minnesota did it really well this past uh, winter, having a three-day strike in the early part of December that hurt management but didn't make them crumble. And then they basically said, okay, um, we're going to do a lengthier strike over the holidays between Christmas and New Year's. And and, uh, once management kind of chewed on that for a little bit, they did come back with their tails between their legs and and gave Minnesota Nursing Association a great contract. Now, you got to be organized to do that. You can't just say it and it just happens. You've got to to put the time in, the effort in. You've got to make sure you're members are really behind this so whether it's a one-day strike or it's a thousand-day strike you still have to put the time and effort to uh, um, uh accomplish uh, your goals cool well to talk more about this our first guest today is johnny callis he's a phd candidate at cornell university Isler school up uh, in our old stomping upstate uh, new york stomping grounds uh johnny you guys uh you guys clear of the uh the snow up there yet or, or what's going on uh, almost, you know, I think I heard you guys earlier saying uh, spring doesn't really begin till May. So we still got another month ahead of us. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you guys just uh, recently released the uh, Cornell ILR uh, Labor Action Tracker second annual report. We had you on uh, last year when you first launched this. Uh, and, you know, I think we certainly had a sense on this show over the last year, just from, you know, covering things there, there seemed to be more strikes last year, but a lot of times that's, that could just sort of feel anecdotal. That's like, you know, we're very attuned to it. Um, but you've actually got some data that, that kind of backs that up, I think, right? Yeah, there's definitely a considerable increase in both the number of strikes and number of workers on strike across the U.S. in 2022 compared to 2021. So we documented 424 work stoppages, 417 strikes and seven lockouts, you know, lockouts aren't totally a thing of the past, but obviously the vast majority of work stoppages are are strikes. 
involving 224,000 workers in 2022, and that was up from 279 work stoppages involving approximately 140,000 workers in 2021. And I think what you really saw is sort of the the phenom called striketober um, in late 2021 really continue in some ways into 2022. Um, so the level of strike activity, for example, the first six months in 2022 were considerably higher than the same time period in 2021. Uh, so I think you definitely saw a noticeable uh, uptick in strikes across the country last year, that's for sure. So uh, I, I know we want to kind of get into the weeds a bit on this. And I know uh, Ed Smith has some questions uh, as, as well, but just sort of remind folks um, who might be wondering, you know, this seems something, you know, the, the BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics would would track, you know, why is good old Cornell the <laughs> one that's tracking this? And, and what exactly is your strike tracker? Yeah, of course. So, uh, Unfortunately, the BLS, which is sort of historically seen as the dominant data source on strike activity since unsurprisingly funding cuts by the Reagan administration in the early 1980s, has only documented work stoppages involving at least a thousand workers that last at least an entire shift. So it really leaves out the vast majority of uh, strike activity. And it's actually come to our attention. They really only document even that size of work stoppages uh, during weekdays, so excluding weekends and federal. <laughs> so we've actually had a couple strikes in our database that were, oh my gosh, on the weekend. So that met the 1,000 worker threshold and was not included in the BLS database because of that. So it really portrays a pretty uh, narrow scope of strike activity. This is nothing against anybody who works at the BLS. This is just against those funding cuts that took place in the early 1980s. Uh, so we started this project to really, for two primary reasons. One is to fill that data gap so we have reliable data on strike activity, but also to amplify the voices of striking workers. So, you know, there's a lot of strikes such as, you know, the LA school support staff and teacher strike last year that'll receive, rightly so, a tremendous amount of press coverage. But we also document strikes by, you know, uh, 10 or 20 construction workers or, a strike by non-union movie theater workers in Utah from a couple of years ago that probably nobody would hear of, but we want to uh, make sure it's on our map. So we have those sort of dual goals as part of our project. We're talking with Johnny Callis uh, with the Cornell uh, ILR, this Industrial Labor Relations School up there in uh, Ithaca, New York. Actually, has several other locations throughout the state. Uh, Johnny, I assume you're in Ithaca though, right? Um, I'm actually in New York City currently, but... Oh, okay. uh, I go up to Ithaca quite a bit. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, Ed Smith, questions, comments? Thanks, Johnny, for being all, uh, on our show. And by the way, I remember my freshman year in college was a small college called Eisenhower College. It was on the other side of the lake. And I remember almost every day in the winter sliding across uh, two feet of snow with a big old ice uh, at the top, and you'd slide down as far as you could to try to get to class. And of course, at some point you'd fall, but uh, I don't miss those days. Um, first of all, <laughs> first of all, thank you very much for undertaking this project. And one of the locals that I represent is over at Howard University Hospital in the District of Columbia, and we had a one-day strike. It involved uh, a little over 320 employees. That is clearly not included in the um, BLS database. Um, why does it matter, for example, to include like a group of 320 at Howard? I think I know the reason. 
Um, I think it's an important institution uh, and it did get quite a bit of press coverage, but why does it matter that we're collecting the data in the first place? What, what, what's the overall idea in terms of educating whoever decides to read these reports? Yeah, because I think it demonstrates just the level of labor activism happening throughout the country. And even if it's not a particularly large strike, it really uh, demonstrates, you know, what workers are up against. So, for example, in healthcare, there have been serious, obviously pre-pandemic, but exacerbated by the pandemic, staffing concerns, pay issues, health and safety issues, because we have a sort of collective bargaining model in this country that's mostly operated at the workplace level, some of these strikes may not be particularly huge or they're not industry-wide strikes, but they really exemplify the kind of issues that healthcare workers across the country are, 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 are you know, persevering through on a day-to-day -day basis. So I'm also reminded of, for example, the Massachusetts nurses from a couple of years ago. It was only 700 nurses on strike, right? I put only in quotes, they were on strike for 10 months against a giant for-profit healthcare corporation. And uh, they had to withstand the employer hiring permanent replacements, um, trying to facilitate a decertification election. This is straight out of like the late 20th century with some of these tactics. Um, and these are really important stories to really get out there. So I don't think you can have a complete understanding of, of labor action without uh, understanding these, you know, quote unquote, smaller strikes. So that's a, a major goal of our project. Hey, a quick follow up um, and, and appreciate that answer. Um, and I, I, yeah, I forgot about uh, the Massachusetts that it was under a thousand. Um, I think you said 420 plus strikes uh, demonstrated in your report. Do you offhand know what the BLS number was? It was like uh, maybe half that? Oh, the BLS number was, I mean, they documented, I think it was either 23 or 25 work stoppages involving a thousand or more workers. Oh my uh, God. Yeah. So it's less than 10%, maybe less than 5% of the uh, total number of strikes that we documented in 2022. Wow, I, I forgot it was that little uh, amount. Yeah, I think that's significant, uh, Chris. No, no, and I think it really underlines the need and the importance of what you're doing because, you know, what we're talking about here is – you know, what is actually happening on the ground. And, and you know, like, like you know, Ed and I, we're here in the D.C. area, and, and we know there's, you know, there's, there's these one-day strikes. You know, there's been a bunch of them, the Starbucks. Starbucks uh, has done a bunch of strikes, and I think every single one of them uh, here and across the country has usually been one or two days. Hospital workers almost always strike for only one. I mean, the Massachusetts one was an unusual one because normally – they only strike for a day or two, and then they're they're back in. Uh, and there are strategic reasons for that. I mean, it's not you know that that that, that happens. But so it, it just seems to me like what you're doing really it feels like it, it it's a better temperature take on on what it's like on the ground. Uh, what I, what I want to get a little bit more into the weeds here because I'm looking at your wonderful pie chart here, and if I'm reading it right, an interesting thing jumps out to me here, which is that the biggest slice of the pie. Uh, thirty-four percent um, of these, um, well, you call them work stoppages. It's a, called a strike tracker, but then you use the word work stoppage. I'm a writer, so I got to ask you what's what's the difference between a work stoppage and a strike? What? what uh, but also, then I want to talk about why are thirty-four percent of them in accommodation and food services? I'm sorry, it's a two-part question. Sorry. No, absolutely. Yeah. So the work stoppage is including both strikes and lockouts. We follow. Ah, got it. But the vast majority 
are strikes. So you can, I think, really use those interchangeably. And in terms of the 34% number, I think it's really fueled by two prominent campaigns. One, uh, Starbucks Workers United. So we didn't document any strikes by Starbucks workers in 2021. We documented around 100 strikes by Starbucks workers in 2022. Uh, but also you have continued activism by fast food workers on the Fight for 15 campaign, especially those in California who have been fighting for, you know, local fast food uh, sort of councils. Um, and, and we documented, uh, I think, around 30 or 40 strikes by fast food workers in California. So those are the two primary campaigns that really led to that increase in the accommodation and food services sector. Those strikes do tend to be smaller, largely because the workplaces, as we've discussed, are much smaller. But in terms of the total number of strikes by industry, uh, that's definitely the most prominent one. Well, and coming in, I mean, these two are really, I mean, basically comprised over half of of the uh, you know work stoppages strikes. Uh, number two at seventeen point two percent was, I believe, educational services, right? Let me. I should know that off the top of my head, but <laughs> yep, it was uh, educational services. And I think what's also important to realize is that. Uh, in terms of number of workers involved, about 60% of all striking workers in 2022 came from the educational services industry. So these are largely, you know, obviously the, the biggest one was by graduate student workers and postdocs in the University of California system, nearly 50,000 workers on strike there. But you had a lot of large sort of citywide teacher strikes, right? Columbus, Ohio, Sacramento, California, Minneapolis. Um, so those also added to those overall totals. We're talking with Johnny Callis. He's a PhD candidate at Cornell University ILR School. Uh, they recently released uh, this uh, action, the Labor Action Tracker second annual report full of all kinds of really interesting information. Um, Ed Smith. Oh, wait, strike days. I want to get into strike days. Another pie. I just, the pie charts are really helpful. I'm a big fan of the pie charts because you can just sort of I, I get very confused by numbers. I'll admit it. You know, just Ed, Ed can do math in his head. I can't. So when I see a pie chart, I'm like, oh, good. I can I can get this. But um, so the big the big strike days, this is interesting because it's a little bit different. So the Big number of stoppages was over in accommodation of food services, but the number of strike days or the number, let's go to the number of workers first, number of workers was actually bigger from in, in educational services. So I'm assuming that that just means more, more folks were striking in those areas. Exactly. Yeah, the largest strikes, really, if you think about it, were from the educational services sector. I shouldn't say all of them, also from healthcare as well, but the UC graduate students and postdocs. Um, also, some of those teacher strikes I just mentioned for those before. So that's really what drove those higher numbers. So it's interesting. I mean, as a student of labor history, and, and I'm sure you are as well. I mean, when you think about the, the big historical strikes, you know, mine workers, steel workers, auto workers. And this is really this is a picture of a really different workforce, right? It's it's a lot of ways, educators, healthcare workers, um, fast food and Starbucks workers. I mean, those not saying there, there still is, um, you know, a lot of labor action in manufacturing, and I'm not trying to take away from that work. And we have a good chance to see a lot more of that labor activity later this year, as we all know. But um, I think you do see sort of 
uh, changing dynamic into where these types of strikes are taking place. 15,000 nurses in Minnesota, 48,000 graduate student workers. And there really has been, I hesitate to use the word strike wave or the term strike wave, I really do. And we can talk about some of the historical comparison if you all like, um, but you do see a bit of almost a, a higher education strike wave uh, over the last few months that really started with those graduate student workers in the UC system. So that's really where you see a lot of labor activity today, education, healthcare, food service, et cetera. Ed you Smith, know, a final question, comment? Yeah, um, uh, great data. And I noticed that the West really uh, bumped up a lot of not, not only more actions, but involving more workers. Uh, I, what I love with data is, is, okay, now you've got this data that says a number of things. And then I think at some point we have to figure out, okay, well, why? Why, why is the Western part of the country doing this in this day and age? Or, and, it, and does it follow a trend? And then why these particular workers? I can speak on behalf of nurses. We know why, because management is just not staffing uh, the hospitals appropriately. And, and because of the healthcare systems, it's profits over patients. Um, so we know that. Uh, do you have any kind of insight on that or, or any kind of expected uh, follow-up research? Definitely a lot on the latter question. There will be a follow-up research, and I hope in the next uh, one or two years, I'll be able to get some of that research out there, and we'll see some of these developing trends as we continue to collect this data. I just want, I know we're on, uh, might be a little bit short of time. I just want to point out two really interesting findings we had. One, while the West definitely outpaced the, race of the rest of the country in terms of the number of strikes, there were effectively as many strikes in the South as there were in the Northeast or the Midwest. Similarly, about one third of all strikes in 2022, this continued a trend from 21, were organized by non-union workers. And I think this really speaks to an expanding scope of labor activism, right? Yes, a lot of strikes still result from contract negotiation over sort of quote unquote traditional workplace issues like pay, but you're starting to see a lot of strikes outside of traditional collective bargaining. And I think it'll be interesting to see if you know those workers are able to sustain those gains over time by forming unions, negotiating contracts, et cetera. And we hope to continue having that data going forward. Great stuff, Johnny, really appreciate it. Listen, we're gonna have to have you back on. We just sort of scratched the surface here. Lots more to talk about. Uh, keep up the great work and uh, you know, stay warm. Spring is coming, brother, spring is coming. <laughs> I appreciate you all. Thank you all, keep up the great work. Talk to you soon. All right, that's uh, Johnny Callis. He's a PhD candidate at Cornell University ILR School. They recently released the Cornell ILR Labor Action Tracker's second annual report. We will have a link to it in the podcast. Just search for your rights at work. This is a public service announcement with guitar.